Let's pray together, please. Easter God, on this beautiful day, filled with great uh, pageantry, great music, great symbols of our faith, may we, your Easter people, hear you anew and love you and welcome you more finely and fully into the depths of our hearts. We've given all of ourselves that we know to give to you, but you will reveal to us those places those areas where we need to surrender our lives and welcome in the power of Easter this day. And so, in your name, we live and pray. Amen. For the Lenten season this year, uh, the season before Easter, we've taken our gospel readings from the second gospel, that is the gospel of Mark. Mark is the cliff note version of the gospel, if you will. It's for the ADD among us in that it's uh, fast-paced, it hits the high points, and it doesn't have any long sermons. Amen? Amen. And, but after only 15 chapters, Mark tells the stories of what leads up to Jesus' execution by the Roman soldiers. And then... In chapter 16, the final chapter, he gives us only eight verses of resurrection. Only eight verses. I mean, I'm all for brevity, but my goodness, are you serious? That's it. Here's how it ends. They went out and fled the tomb, that is the women, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. Really? That's the ending? Uh, there's, there's no appearance of Jesus, by Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark. No words from the resurrected Jesus. He doesn't walk through any walls. He doesn't eat a meal with anyone. What happened? Did the author run out of time? We know that can happen if you've been to school at all, you know what term papers do, and you know you work really hard on the first part, and then you get to the end, and oh, it's deadline. Maybe that happened. Uh, maybe, maybe he had writer's block. Maybe he didn't know what to say. I know that feeling. You wake up before dawn on Easter morning, and you realize that everything that you've written for your Easter sermon is wrong. It's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't convey. It just doesn't cut it. And you wish in that moment that, that you were a ballerina or, uh, or, or, or an artist or a, a, a poet or, or a musician, some way to convey this truth that words alone just can't convey. I empathize with the author trying to write about resurrection. Maybe that's what happened. Some people think the end of the Gospel of Mark was lost. The end of the scroll somehow just got separated from uh, the rest of the scroll. Those of you old enough to remember the old television series, MASH, will remember the episode when the whole unit, bored with just the tedium of the day, was so excited when a paperback novel, a mystery novel that only Steve Brown could remember the title of. 
appears in the mail to them. And so they decide rather than to read it one person at a time, they would kind of tear the book in pieces and each one would have a chapter until they get to the end of the book and discover the last page, the critical page, is missing. Maybe that's what happened in the Gospel of Mark. If you look in your Bible at the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice that there are two endings, what they call the shorter ending and the longer ending. Apparently, the end of the first century, some well-meaning editor decided to add some verses to sort of fill out the rest of the story. And that's what we all tend to do with Easter. We conflate or we pull together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we get the seven last words from all four. And we we tell all the stories by reading all four. But I wonder today, if just as Matthew and Luke and John each had their own unique way to tell the story of Jesus, in just the same way, the writer of the Gospel of Mark also has written his telling just as it is to be. That in its abrupt ending, in its brevity, He is conveying to you and to me the mystery of the gospel, the resurrection that Jesus Christ is alive again. He starts out by repeating himself, which is a very rare thing in the book of Mark, this one known for brevity. He begins Mark 16 by repeating the names of the women. He's just named a few verses earlier, for he notes at the end of chapter 15, the disciples are all gone. Jesus hangs on the cross. The disciples are all gone. But there are three women standing at a distance, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the other Mary, and Salome. They weren't afraid. They stood vigil while Jesus died and was taken down from that cross and laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They they weren't afraid. And as Mark 16 begins, we see these same three women named again, who come this time to the tomb of Jesus in order to anoint his dead body. They're not afraid. They're not afraid to touch a dead body. That kind of feels a little odd to me, but to them, they were ready to do what they needed to do. But as they make their way toward Jesus' tomb it occurs to them that they've seen a very large stone rolled in front of the tomb. Who will roll away the stone, they ask themselves. And when they get there, the stone's rolled away. Well, that's spooky. Who did that? Why did they do that? And yet they're not afraid. Mark says, as they enter the tomb. Think about that. Can you hear the spooky music in the background kind of rising? As they enter, don't go in there. But as they enter, they're not afraid. As they enter the tomb, they encounter a man dressed in white 
a messenger from God. And now they're afraid. Now they're afraid. They weren't afraid before. Because they thought they knew what they would find. They thought the world would be as it always is. Que sarah, What will be, will be. But they're surprised and afraid, not by death and rigor mortis or decay. What, that's what they'd expect. What they're surprised by is someone alive in a place of death. Someone bearing a word of hope into a scenario where there is no hope. It's it's all done. He's dead. He's been buried. They rolled the stone in front of the grave. And they hear the message. You've come looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. In a world where everything is fixed, to hope that kind of hope is frankly scary. In a world where everything is settled to talk about a new day, it's, it's unsettling, it's unnerving. In a world where everything seems to be decided already, for us to think about new possibilities feels almost like we're trespassing or breaking rules. What might it mean for us today to dream new dreams about ourselves and who we are and what we're put on this earth for. What might it mean to you, young people, young adults, you college students home from school, what might it mean to you to believe that there's more to your life than just what you've programmed it to be, that maybe there's this purpose, capital P, purpose, that's calling you What might it mean for this church? As we're about to enter our 120th year, what might it mean for us to dream a new dream about how God is calling us to be faithful in the city of Louisville? What does it mean for us to talk about not only the spiritual implications, but the political implications That Jesus came into this world and died a political death on a Roman cross. What might that mean for us? Not in terms of who we vote for, but in terms of how we decide how we vote. Do you see the difference? What might it mean for us? Well, you might say, we've we've never done this. This isn't the way we were taught. This isn't how we were raised. This isn't what the Easter story is about. But the messenger says to the woman, don't be alarmed. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He's been raised. Look, here's the place where they laid him. He's gone. That little sentence is Easter in the Gospel of Mark. It encapsulates the whole story in one sentence, connecting this climax of the whole story with the beginning, all the way back to Mark 1, where we meet a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who comes preaching a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and helps us hear that in a new way. To hear it not only as what it says about me, 
but what it says about life. What does it mean to say this one that the domination system killed, executed on a cross, has been raised again and is not here in the language of chess? Good Friday said check and Easter says checkmate in response. Do you hear it? The world says no. The gospel says yes. That in the end, the love of God will not be killed, it will not be placed in a tomb, it will not be hidden by a stone, but it will rise again. Jesus rose from the dead. And everything's changed. You heard Daniel in the baptistry respond to the question, who is your Lord? He answered, Jesus Christ is Lord, which means that if Jesus Christ is Lord, Daniel Richard Horton isn't Lord. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, Caesar's not Lord. Do you hear it? It's the gospel of good news that is born into this world yet again. Oh, Mark, you may say, as people have said through the centuries, Mark, help us out here a little. We need some more verses Can you explain to us how Jesus rose from the dead? Can you fill in some of the blanks here? How did you kickstart that three-day dead heart? What happened to the coagulated blood? How did the organs... Can you fill in some details? Mark doesn't fill in details, nor does Matthew or Luke or John or even the Apostle Paul. How do we fill in those details? We believe not because of details. Mark could have written eight books instead of eight verses, and it wouldn't have been enough to prove it to, it. to us. We, f- we believe it because we feel it to be true, and we experience it to be true, and we know it's true in our bones. Easter is God's checkmate. When the world says, check. Easter is God's yes. When it feels to you like all the world says, no. And this morning, I would do anything to help you see it. Can you see it? It's very important that you get there. That you see it. Because if you don't, you don't have Easter. It's not Easter until you see it. Maybe when you're in school, you have that moment amidst all of the trivialities and the competition and the game playing and the bullying and the hatred that you see just for a moment in something someone does, something someone says, some act of kindness or of, of risk by a friend or a teacher, you see that little speck of, of life and hope and a different way that says it doesn't always have to go the same direction. And it's just a glimpse for you, but you, you see it. 
It's Easter. I went to this crazy Humana play last night. It was this play about people eating human flesh. It was bizarre. It was grotesque. But then all of a sudden, out of all of the dialogue, comes this line that says, we don't have to eat them. We just have to love them. That's how you get the energy. That's how you get what you need. And I thought, there's Easter at the Humana play. I open up the caring bridge for Burke Tinsley, a young man in our church who for five months, five months, has been in intensive care. It's very grim. They celebrate him licking a cherry popsicle, just one lick or two. It's very, very grim. And yet, every day when I read the mother's report about him, when she tells her story, there's this beauty and this love that is so blindingly beautiful that you, you, you see Easter and you believe and see Christ risen again. I opened an email just last night from my former church. They do a Good Friday service where they uh, walk what they call a labyrinth, a little maze that has been constructed several years ago on the front lawn of the church. It was built in memory of our son Bobby who, who died some years ago. The labyrinth was constructed by this strange builder in town. I met him like 28 years ago. One day when I needed to sell a jukebox that I owned, that's another story, (laughs) in order to buy an engagement ring so I could propose to Terry McAllister. And I met this builder named Bruce. Bruce was all jacked up on cocaine. His life was a mess. And he built this labyrinth. And people are walking it and praying. And you just get a glimpse of Easter. Do you see it? In your own life, in your own stories. He's there. Waiting to be revealed to show us hope and peace and joy and love. Mark, could you give us more details? Mark doesn't give us any more details. But what we get is this. Go and tell the disciples, the messenger said to the woman. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you'll see him. Well, Galilee is their hometown. Galilee's home. You want to see Jesus? Go home. Go back to school. Go back to work. Go back to your neighborhood. Go back to your family where people 
are living ordinary lives, sometimes bored and other times broken, sometimes hopeless and sometimes just listless, sometimes lost, sometimes dying, sometimes angry and hateful, and there you will see him. I mean, I love it that you're here in church on this Easter morning. Please come again. But the purpose of church is not simply to come here to see Easter. Can I say that again? The purpose of church is not to come here to see Easter. The purpose of church is to train our eyes to go see Jesus out there. Go go to Galilee. There you'll see him. For the story's not over. There's more to the story. God is not done. Easter is but the beginning of God's transforming love, creating this revolution that can happen. It really can happen if you and I will just see it and trust it and multiply it. Walter Brueggemann says we are the means to God's longer ending. I love that. It's our turn now. In that MASH episode where they lost the last page of the novel, the different characters in the TV show, Hawkeye and Hot Lips and Radar and Colonel Potter, they all try to write their own ending to the novel. And I think that's maybe our call with the Gospel of Mark. It's our turn. It's our call. We are the ones, when the world says no, we announce God's yes. When the world says check, we see and we declare God's checkmate. We're here not only to remember and honor the gospel, but to live the gospel. That the Lord is risen, he is risen indeed. Pray with me. Risen Christ, come among us now. Open our blind eyes and allow us to see you always before us. And may your church, in its many and diverse forms, be faithful this day and always to bearing your love in the world. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.